Hi and welcome to uh, Intro List Behind the Headlines on the Salt Radio Network. I'm Joe Quinn and my co-host this week is Nal Bradley. Hi everyone. As usual. Uh, yeah, this is an Intro List show. Uh, I'm not sure. Let me just ask some people in the chat room uh, in case they heard it uh, because we didn't hear the intro. Um Hello, chatty people. Can you just let me know if uh, you heard an intro there? Because we didn't. Um, and there's something wrong. Uh, this is a typical um, blog, talk, radio uh, issue. I want to see what it is, but um, yeah. So we had no intro. So, well, it makes a change, I suppose. You know, stir it up a little bit. Uh, not ideal, but there you go. Um, send your complaints to idiots at blogtalkradio.com. Yeah, they... That'll get to their staff. The first we heard of it was a couple of days ago. They did some upgrades and broke something. They broke it. And that, it, it looks like our audio file is completely yeah. re-uploaded. So, yeah. Yeah, anyway, here we are. And it sounds like everything's piping up there okay. Let us know if you can't hear us, of course. Uh... This week, we are going to start, at least, by focusing on a couple of news items that are just like, oh, what the hell just happened? Yeah. Two shootings in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So what else is new? One of them was just so out there as to be, I don't know, I mean, it's cliche, isn't it, to say it's like a scene from a movie. Mm-hmm. But I kept thinking natural-born killers. I was watching the story coming out. So a uh, local TV crew in Virginia. Channel station was uh, WDBJ. Uh, a young reporter and her TV crew, just of one, I think, one one guy on a camera, are interviewing a local Chamber of Commerce official. And uh, someone just strolls up. Shoots them both dead. Mm-hmm. Fires all 17 shots, apparently. And uh, <laughs> it, the reason why I brought up the movie Natural Born Killers is that there's this scene involving reporters and the camera is still rolling, like in what the shooting happened there in Virginia last week. The camera is continuing to roll as you hear the shots firing and you kind of see some of what happened. And it's like, okay. Uh, the shooter then leaves the scene and he is um, supposedly not I'm, not I'm not sure if he was chased but he was tracked on his way apparently to Washington mm-hmm. D.C. and he stopped in corners somewhere in Manito I think in the town uh, <clears throat> and it's unclear then whether he Killed himself, yes, yes, he's, he's, he's supposed to have killed himself, um, but then only died, or attempted to kill himself, and died then in hospital. So three three victims, the shooter, the reporter, and the TV cameraman. What's utterly nuts about this is that it, the story broke, apparently, thanks to the shooter, who has his own camera attached to his chest, I believe, like a GoPro 
cam, body cam you can wear. He first based the story by uploading it to his Twitter account. I don't know what the message was. If, if any of you saw it, let us know. The cool as you like, he um, uploads a brief video of the murder he's just committed. And I think links to a manifesto or a blog of his in which he, there's some explanation for why he did what he did. Um, of course, the camera that was there with the TV camera, and that footage, in addition, was also shown. And they've quickly been either redacted, or what you can see in both the shooter's viewpoint and the TV cameraman. And it's hard. I didn't actually get to see anything that might be like the original footage. At this point, it's really only a brief snippet of what went on. You do still, there is still footage available out there of the cameraman approaching. And this is where it's like really bizarre because he, he's walking up and his camera's turned on. The interview is underway. The, the young reporter is Allison Parker is interviewing this local businesswoman on the balcony in some business park. And Cameras rolling, interviews going on. The cameraman, uh, Adam Ward, literally over his shoulder. And it's like the two, nobody there actually notices that this guy is just standing there. Uh-huh. He, you see him stretch up his arm as if to shoot, and you see a gun. They keep talking. They haven't apparently noticed him yet. They can't be more than three meters, maybe six feet, seven feet away from the end of his extended arm with a gun. They're not looking at him, right? They haven't paused or thought anything out of the ordinary. But he's clearly like... He's behind one of them. I'm I'm guessing he's behind to the left a bit of the cameraman, but he's in full frontal view of either of the two. Either the the journalist who's in the interview, uh-huh. or particularly would have been in view of the right. interviewee. Well, they may not may not have noticed someone. I mean, six seven feet away is enough to, if you're focused on something else, that you're not you're concentrating. Not necessarily sure. going to pay any attention. You know, if there are other people that pass by or stop or whatever, you know, crews like that are used to people stopping and and gawking, gawking yeah. at what's going on. You know, so it's not necessary, not necessarily a you know, strange. Okay. But they would have done that. But then what happens? Then, um, well, he extends his arm initially. They don't take any notice. He lowers his arm. They carry on talking. 10, 12, maybe 15 seconds before he extends his arm. And this time, as soon as it's extended, he, he intends to shoot. And he starts shooting. And this is when you see this. They, they do stop talking. They notice, of course. And they're looking at him in horror. And you maybe hear slash see six or seven shots being fired off. It lasts maybe five or six, actually. I'm not sure what kind of gun he had and how many bullets it could have in one round. It didn't look like a particularly large weapon. Um, and they look at him in horror and shock. And you see the reporter, Alison Parker, begin to run away. I think the interviewee just froze there. And it looked like he 
kept his gun trained on Allison as she ran away. This is the last footage from the vantage point of the shooter and his GoPro, GoPro cam, it blacks out of that point. Mm. Um, well, what I find strange about it is that a, is that a, shoot, a shooter, to call them, it would be um, would be carrying a GoPro camera. You know? Uh, although it's not unusual because um, there is an, there's an example in Europe of this. Well, yeah, happening. that's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of the shootings in France in 2009 uh, in, uh, in Toulouse and in Montauban, uh, not far from where we are, uh, where a guy shot up, um, supposedly one guy, probably it was more, uh, a shooting spree over three days, basically shot a guy in Toulouse, a uh, 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 soldier shot a then moved to Montauban, shot another two soldiers, I think, in Montauban, and then shot went back to Salouz and shot uh, children and teachers at a Jewish primary school. And there was no footage from the shooter's GoPro camera, but everybody said that he was wearing one. Um, of course, there was a lot of a lot of problems about that particular shooting. Uh, we talked about it at the time. We wrote about it at the time. It was pretty. Uh, that, that led to Mohammed Marah chase then afterwards. It took a few weeks. That was effectively a you know, Al-Qaeda terrorist attack. Although, in the style of essentially um, a false flag operation. It bore a lot of the hallmarks of a false flag operation. So, um, not that just wearing a GoPro camera is always indicative of a false flag operation, but it's just strange, I suppose. But it could also point to the person being a bit crazy, and that's what they're basically saying this guy was in the well, US, that he was crazy. Yeah. We had a couple of people write to us. Um, they're kind of like asking them, what the hell happened here? It doesn't seem right. And we agree, something's off about it. Now, the evidence, well, the suggestions given so far for what's off, one of them is that colleagues of the reporters and the cameramen um, were updating their own Twitter slash social media pages with you know messages of bereavement and shock and dismay and horror of what had happened. And they took screenshots of their posts and said, well, look at these timestamps there before the incident. We've covered this before in other incidents that the timestamp on social media updates is not always accurate. It depends on the user's settings, for example. The time zone could be off for any number of reasons. So that's not evidence of prior knowledge or anything like that. The other main thing that's been sent to us was the suggestion that the shooter's arm, which you see raised twice, uh, is Caucasian. It's too white to have been a black man, which is what we've now been told was the color of the, the shooter. But uh, they've also issued uh, photos of this guy, who's now, we're told, a former employee at the same TV station who knew them. Uh, yes, he's, I suppose he's black, but he's also very pale. So you're not going to be able to tell from any light tell from his extended arm that this person is black, white, half-caste or whatever. 
So that's I, there's no reason to think that is not the guy that said it is. Yes, so his backstory is uh, he was a colleague of theirs at the same TV station. He was fired. Um, his name is, it's weird, he's got two names. He changed it at some point. Not sure when. Vestal Lee Flanagan II, what a name. His other given name is Williams. Um, not much to go on, but this could have been, I mean, it's a bizarre story. It's it, it's so easy just to dismiss this as just another guy going off, and that's probably what it basically is. But in the reports, giving the backstory on the shooter and his disgruntled past with these colleagues and this TV station, i.e. some motive for why he would have just gone nuts like that and shot his former colleagues, um, they've been trying to stress, the media's been stressing in reports that authorities say Flanagan or Williams, depending on which name you're going with, was fascinated and closely identified with individuals who have committed domestic acts of violence and mass murder, as well as the September 11, 2001 attacks on the United States. He did 9-11. He did 9-11, was fascinated by 9-11, whatever, they got 9-11 in there. <laughs> that was, <gasps> that they were keen to stress that. I love these people. <laughs> uh... So when we read things like that, it's like, oh, okay, well, hang on a second. You know, it, at the very least, someone's writing on the story to extract some kind of uh, political value out of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the other obvious thing was that uh, initially I was thinking, oh, okay, this is going to be really, this is going to be turned into another aggregate, aggra aggravating factor in race relations in the U.S. because yep. the guy's black. He's got issues with his former employer. Didn't they say initially before this association with 9-11 and therefore with the war on terror, Islamism, whatever they call it, um, didn't they initially say that in this supposed manifesto he was pissed with the treatment of blacks or the reporting and the coverage yes. of black rights by the media? Mm-hmm. So there you've got two little things floating above and around it, buzzing it. So alternatively, it can be, in terms of a, a motive for why this guy goes postal, people are invited with two suggestions. One, the problem is his association with the enemy within, all those unruly dark people. <coughs> and the other hand with the enemy without, those unruly dark people. Mm -hmm. Over there in the Middle East. Well, that's all. That's all the powers that be in America have these days uh, to prop up their failing state, and that's true in, in many other places around the world. Is the enemy within the enemy without? You know, the enemy everywhere. The enemy, basically, and that's what they want to keep pushing down people's throats because they're getting kind of desperate because the whole kind of system is falling apart. As you can see, if you take a close look at what's going on around the world, you can see it's falling apart. So. Um, and these people fear exposure, fear the the reality of of the way they've been ruling over 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 people in the world for for so long, and and they this is the only thing they can do. And I mean, they've obviously set it up a long time ago to be used in this way, and it's been used for quite a long time. But they're really um, <clears throat> it's, it's almost like they played their trump cards already. Nine eleven and the whole war on terror and ISIS and all that kind of stuff. 
and things are still not locked down as they would like them to be, you know. Uh, so all they can do is just keep pointing to, like you just said, 9-11, terrorism, you know. And now in the U.S. in particular, they're using the whole race card. Uh, and it's reasonable to assume in that context that there is a kind of, like we we're suggesting, a kind of a, a U.S. version of a U.S. color revolution uh, happening in the U.S. Um, it's a big place to try and impose that kind of a an operation, that kind of a, a strategy. I mean, we've seen it happen in smaller countries around the world, uh, largely by the U.S. itself. We can, you know, that's why we call them color revolutions. There's all these different revolutions that have happened in Eastern Europe and in, in the Middle East that are all presented as natural, popular, or popular uprisings. Um, but it's basically regime change by another method. The U.S. and its very and the various branches. Giving the, the powers to be. Yes, giving rulers in these far-flung and generally small countries something to think about. Yeah. To see how we can whip up a problem inside your country. Well, they've whipped up problems and got rid of and gotten rid of people completely. Hasn't just yeah, been a threat. But they've sometimes often been overturned as well. Yeah. They, those countries have reverted yeah. to some kind of normalcy. However, yes, it can be easily done again and again. It's, um, it's showing them that uh, people in other countries, it either shows them or gets rid of uh, leaders in other countries or governments in other countries and how easily they can be destabilized, how easily they can bring chaos to the country and make the rule of any particular government uh, untenable or provide the situation, provide the right circumstances for their for a change of government, a popular uprising, blah, blah, blah. And it usually involves violence of some description. You know, that's the one thing that will... Uh, force people's hands, force foreign government's hands uh, is to unleash some violence in the country. It's a pretty simple, basic and rather crass uh, method to use. But at work, in the US, you've got a pretty large country with 300 million people. You're not going to have a popular uprising across the entire US. Uh, you'd have to create... But also, what is the... What is the um, obviously, what I'm talking about here, uh, here about a, an attempt to overthrow the US government by members of the U.S. government, right? That doesn't make any sense. Mm. Uh, but what they seem to be doing is just another part of, uh, another aspect of uh, the continuing kind of lockdown and militarization and police statification of America where the people are uh, put or placed yet again in a state of fear, uh, Kind of um, fear of their own society, effectively a feeling a feeling of insecurity within their own society, and uh, a division of the people in society. I'm not sure exactly what their ultimate goal is, other than um, creating the conditions for, like I just said, uh, an increased level of police state measures within the U.S. Um, but I mean, getting back to this this race war, this race card seems to be what they're what they're playing right now. Um, when we see events like this, you just we were just talking about the the shooting of the two reporters by some guy, and it was he's a black guy who's you know they 
associated with the Black Lives Matter thing. They're associated with terrorism, as we were saying, the enemy within and without. And then there was, all, there was the other event, which was just a few days ago, where a Texas uh, deputy was killed by a guy, the arrested the guy for it, his name was uh, Shannon Miles. He's a black man um, from that area, and he just walked up to a policeman. Uh, Did you notice the location, the actual county this took place in? Uh, Harris. Mm-hmm. Harris County Sheriff's Deputy, yeah. Do you remember that one? What was there? You pointed out in an earlier show that it's <laughs> the most racist. Oh, is that county? That's not the one with Sandra. It's where Sandra Bland. There's a few connections. They're trying to make some connections with this whole thing. So Sandra Bland is, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. goes down there from Illinois to begin a job yeah. at Houston University. She's stopped by the roadside. Uh, kicks up a fuss, rightfully so, for being pulled over, spends the day in jail, winds up dead. Um, when latently, so there was some foul play in her jail cell. She was, she was killed, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, they pass it off as a suicide. No one buys it, especially in the black community across the U.S. And there are then protests, one of which was um, led by the newly revivified new Black Panther Party, right. which marches on Harris County, the local, uh, the, the the jail where she was, or the police station where she was processed, and call for, let's see if I can get this right. Uh, yeah, so black radicals went on the internet on some radio show hosted in Texas and called for the lynching of white people and the killing of cops to turn the tide against blacks being killed by cops. So this call for violence took place a few days prior, and the right-wing media in the U.S. is picking up on this in a big way. Mm-hmm. I'm quoting this from Breitbart.com. Um, it's the same candy, and not only that, but they made a point of saying that this suspect accused of executing this cop, he was a deputy sheriff, actually. It was pretty, you can imagine that how that'll rankle in the local community when the deputy is just filling his, his car at the gas station. Mm-hmm. He's just shot in the head first, and then two teenagers saw this apparently. He shot in the head, and then four to finish off in the chest. So yeah. it was a cold-blooded execution. Uh, a guy, he's being held in that same Harris County jail that Bland was in, and he's been linked with Bland by virtue of attending the same university she was supposed to be mm-hmm. work with. I mean, that's no link with her whatsoever, but the media is making the point mm-hmm. of linking them, mm-hmm. tying all these things together to create this arch narrative or to support it that we have an issue here, people, don't we? Yes, and everyone's going, yes, we have a race war. People are people are, who are upset about, obviously, what happened to this deputy sheriff mm-hmm. are making the kind of sweeping statements about the need to, at the need for the silent majority mainly white people mm-hmm. to make a stand i.e. to polarize everybody polarize yourselves mm-hmm. further further um, yeah. yeah I mean they're they're obviously linking this I mean all of this this happening at, at this time is um, is interesting you can see how it would be can easily be stage managed I mean the rest of this guy um, 
um, Shannon Miles, thirty-year-old black guy, uh, and the uh, these sheriffs. Um, sorry, the the I think the sheriff yeah said that um, on a new, in a news conference said that uh, in an emotional news conference said um, he said that this. But there's a lot of there's dangerous rhetoric against law enforcement officers, and it had gotten out of control. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is obviously dangerous rhetoric uh, is coming out from the black community largely um, about um, police abuse, about quote turning the tide against blacks, right, by shooting cops, explicitly calling for the killing of cops, right, and that he said we've heard that black lives matter. And he said, well, all lives matter, and cops' lives matter, too. Um, so this is a manipulation of the police force in the U.S., obviously. Um, first and foremost, I think, to get them in a position where they are, uh, they'll view, not that they don't already, but they'll view um, black people, uh, even more so than before, with extreme prejudice, I think, that approach them uh, in, a, in a way that we're expecting uh, that their lives may be, may be in danger and that will do what they've been doing even more so now, which is uh, kind of shoot first and ask questions later. Uh, and that's just, you can see how it, how it would spiral out of control. Where it would actually go, it's difficult to say. And what would be done as a result is obviously difficult to say. I mean, like I said, it's a big country, there's over 300 million people, and you can't expect there to be, I wouldn't expect there to be some kind of a, there to be pitched street battles between armed black gangs and police, but that may be, uh, that may happen. Well, we had a little bit of it in microcosm. Yeah, or Ferguson, Baltimore. Yeah, protests though, you know, and not really pitched kind of gun battles or anything like that. But there's stuff going on like this over the past few days that just make us suspicious that there's something happening. Um, I mean, there's another story about a guy, a young black guy who is uh, who is has been in jail since April, <clears throat> and um. He was in Virginia, Portsmouth, Virginia, in jail for uh, stealing groceries worth $5. And he'd been held in custody for some reason because of the wonderful American justice system. Apparently, he wasn't didn't get to trial, didn't get out of jail for anything uh, for four months. And just a few days ago, on the... 28th, which is yeah, on Friday, on the same day as this uh, sheriff was shot in Texas, this young guy was found dead uh, in his cell, like Sandra Bland. Uh, so whether or not he, there was something suspicious about his death, the fact that he was held in jail for, for four months mm. for stealing $5 worth of groceries, and he's a black guy, uh, says a lot. Uh, about about the current situation, the feeling, you know, I mean, that's only going to make the situation worse. Yeah. Um, we absolutely don't need to lock down to be able to say with any kind of certainty no. as to these events being done deliberately to provoke the situation. Uh, All you need is to use your imagination a little in the sense that the conditions are there. You know, it's right. People just need a little push here, they'll push there, mm. and they it just you were saying earlier it was snowball. Yeah, it's a manipulation of the of the general population. So it's kind of mind manipulation. Uh we have a call actually from Jonathan from Tampa Bay. I've been Hi Jonathan. Well, would you just tell me whatever way you prefer because Hello? Yeah, you yeah, are you there? Hi. 
Yes, yes, I am there. Uh, my name is Jonathan. Hi. And, uh, I called a few, few weeks ago. I called a, a few weeks ago when I expressed that I was going to vote for a Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, and anyway, I, I was going to do that just because I'm just so disgusted in um, how could he be any worse was kind of my sentiment. But he's clearly trying to stoke uh, um, anger against um, le- people of uh, Latin dis- descent, Hispanics, and uh, his comment about deporting people that had that have citizenship here, uh, but they were uh, they have their citizenship on the basis of their parents not being documented, but they were born here. It's in our Constitution that if you're born in this territory, um, you are a citizen. You know, when he went over that line and suggested deporting, you know, de facto taking people's citizenship away and deporting them, I, I can't, I just no way, shape, and form I can support that at all. Right. Okay, so you're having a change of heart, yeah? Well, no, I never really had my heart in it. It's just I'm so disgusted that how could this guy be any different, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, but when he came, when he's stoking, when he's stoking uh, racial prejudice, you know, for his political ambitions, especially uh, depriving people of their citizenship, which is in the Constitution, that's just mm. that's insane. There's no way I could support that. So, well, anyway, I just uh, wanted to, I just wanted to make that statement, and I also wanted to make a statement about Sandra Bland. Yeah. Um. The situation with, uh, you know, I don't know what happened. She could have been murdered, whatever. But uh, yeah, there's a just there's pattern of uh, police abuse um, against uh, all people, especially people that are poor. But um, you know, when you get situations where you have white police officers, when you have white police officers patrolling black communities, and they they're like an occupation force, you know, that's just a recipe for. Uh, just incredible uh, disaster, and that's what's been going on. And then um, we have a situation in prisons where the majority of people in prison are there for nonviolent offenses, and there um, we have conditions where they are, uh, prisoners are allowed to be raped and tortured, and this is commonplace. So when you have a system where our, our status quo um, elites, Democrat and Republican, you know, basically support that condition, it's so freaking corrupt that um, I just can't see anything ever getting reformed and getting better. So we're on a steady we're on a steady slide to uh, you know social upheaval and um, and basic uh, implosion of this system eventually because there's just no compunction or intelligence among the uh, the movers and shakers, the thinkers and the politicians to actually change mm. that status quo that allows people to be raped on a regular basis in our prisons. It's despicable. What, what do you think that, uh, what form do you think that the uh, social kind of upheaval would take? Have any ideas? Uh, well, I have some ideas. Um, I believe that the economy is going to crash hard and uh, they're not going to be able to uh, sustain the, uh, the the social welfare support, the minimal social welfare support for food stamps and all that so there'll be people starving and um, there will not be the funds to uh, you know to support the uh, security infrastructure and then um, you know maybe at that point there'll be more of like self-help movements within communities and self-protection but things can things could foreseeably get really really bad because um, 
what I'm watching is that even though that we're the, the, the supposedly most economically powerful, ide- ideologically and culturally powerful country in the entire planet that's ever been, that when we watch these things just deteriorate and there's no way to, uh, it seems there's no will on the part of the people with power to actually change the barbaric conditions that just continually get gradually worse, you know, it's just it just seems like it's impossible for there to be any kind of reform movement that's 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 sane and that will progress orderly and and help us get on a better footing. I just don't see that, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. How it, yeah, how it happens, I don't know. I, I like the I like the, a lot of the writing of this guy called uh, Dmitri Orlov. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, he has is a he has a website called Club Orla, and he um and he was yeah we a, had him uh, on our show yeah oh yeah well I missed that one and um, so anyway um, I like him I like Joaquin Flores um, mm-hmm. he's excellent as well and um, I think I like I told y'all before um, I've been paying um, I've been paying very very keen attention to the situation with Russia. And um, I've just watched the uh, the so-called liberal wing of spectrum, like some from the black intellectuals that make up that, and, and et cetera, the academics, the intelligentsia, like the just the dearth in the in the absence of uh, cogent commentary on that particular issue with Russia, and then some of the red baiting I've seen, the uh, distortions of information. Uh, you know, I, I've just really become disaffected with uh, the so-called liberal progressive left in this country, and that's actually how I happened upon um, SOT Network. Because mm-hmm. uh, when you do a go- when you do Google searches, um, you're actually one of the few organizations that you know English speaking or whatever that have a mode of information that they convey regularly. Um, you're one of the few modes out there that are. are are um, questioning the dominant narratives of this kind of like Russia baiting the NATO, you know, the NATO sable rattling and, you know, this mm-hmm. absurd trying to paint Russians as essentially this or that, or Putin as some evil. I mean, it just gets to be so disgusting when you really do due diligence and you research a lot of different perspectives from people like Dmitry Orlov, for example. Um, it's just disgusting. So um, when I see the liberal left who I've identified with, you know, I'm 51, who I've identified with in my adult political life, you know, I voted for Obama twice. But when I see this, like, this, um, just this this utter kind of, like, weakness um, and this, this lack of solidarity with other humans and the uh, apologia for Obama, and then they, they'll take these issues like gay and, and like black issue, like, which are, which are important. But then they play these up, and it seems like a lot of the goals for playing these up um, is to just kind of generate strife, you know. So we can like we can hate Republican. Ooh, look how bad they are. I mean, it's just it just I'm not. I'm, and I'm, but again, I'm not saying there's not valid uh, criticism within these communities, and there's a desire for better rights and a better way of existing in this society. I don't I don't discount that whatsoever. But when you don't pay attention and you're not critical to the powers that be when it comes to things like what's going on in, in Syria, uh, the Middle East, Libya, mm. and then especially Russia, 
you know, when you don't even, like, get some basic knowledge about geopolitical events and just have an opinion on it that makes sense, you know, it's hard for me to have, like, much respect for what else you have to say, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with you. Yeah, well, anyway, um, I'm, enjoying, I'm enjoying your show. Uh, what other topics are you going to touch on today? Uh, we don't know. We're gonna we're gonna go in a few different directions. But one thing I just wanted to ask you about. I mean, you talked about uh, this kind of uh, social collapse as you you can kind of see it uh, or see the potential for it to happen. Um, do you, have you taken any action in terms of preparing for that? Are you a prepper in any way or anything like that? Uh, well, well, um, I'm actually going through some social collapse in my own uh, my own uh, you know mode of living. Um, mm. you know, so it's, uh, it's increasingly becoming dire straits for my, myself and, uh, and I've almost lost my business. I become a whistleblower. I do work with respect to the environment, wetlands and so forth here in Florida, but I became mm. a whistleblower a couple of years ago because I was just so disgusted with the non-enforcement, the selective enforcement of rules and regulations and, uh, you know, everything gets more polluted and, you know, we're, um, and so when, when I tried to draw attention to that, and it's a, it's a long story, I don't want to get into the particulars, but um, I've been nothing but, uh, I've been nothing but like kind of uh, excluded and um, marginalized, and I've lost business from, I'm a private business person that, that became a whistleblower as opposed to being a government employee. But um, mm. for my efforts, I've received, uh, there's incredible denial about the amount of chemicals and um, just the the, pro- the progression of ecological uh, pollution and, discu- and destruction that goes on, you know, and uh, the corruption and the lack of the lack of sanity and the enforcement of regulations. So when I became a whistleblower, I basically uh, kind of um, you know just kind of put a noose on my neck as a small business. So I'm in yeah. the, I'm in the midst of uh, I'm in the midst of a developing a different. Um, mode to generate income mm-hmm. as a result of it. I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting and involved story, which I, I'm i in the process of writing about. But um, when you live in a culture where everything just gets more polluted and more ugly, and and then when, and then, uh, uh, when you just mention it to everyday people, how we've been kind of like dumbed down to not discuss this important issue and, and rally and do something different, it's like, you know, people really don't even want to talk about it because then you're really pointing out how we've all been kind of like brainwashed and we're all in, you know, most of us are in these patterns of like powerless consumption. And so we're just, we're just like, we got to work our jobs and we come home, we want to relax and divert our attention to something that might make us laugh and so forth. Mm-hmm. But I'm a big believer, I'm a big believer in um, people engaging like their own gardens and then developing uh networks of food distribution within a neighborhood and and that's the route mm-hmm. that we we should be engaging in to um to revive our society and um and there's but the momentum of the what's been foisted upon us through through the you know the course of decades is so strong that to counter that um is extremely difficult so um yeah you know you that's the only hope go ahead yeah, I was going to say you would need a lot of people to counter that momentum. You'd need a major awakening or a major change in in the population, you know, in their, in their perspective. Yes, and I, I definitely believe with it. So the question that arises in my mind 
I'm a believer that we have the capacity to do that. I'm not one of these myth and misanthropes that, oh, humans are worthless, we suck, and all I, I, I reject that kind of sentiment. But I, the question that does arise, is the momentum so strong and our indoctrination so deep that there's a, the momentum is just so strong that you just can't get enough people to cooperate and do something better as a group and maybe the maybe the situation is that there has to be a hard fall, um, which mm-hmm. kind of like Dmitry Orlov, you know, described what happened to the yeah. Soviet Union, or what happened, like for example, in Cuba through the special period. You know, maybe there has to be a very very hard fall, and then people will like, damn, you know what? I'm in, you know, I, I'm losing weight. This is hard, man, but you know, I'm losing mm. weight. You know, as I learn to grow these vegetables and so forth. So um, mm. any, I don't. I find it very difficult to imagine how some person would just come to the forefront and then people are like, damn, you're right, you know, we're putting these pests. If, I just find it hard yeah. to imagine how, how how anything other than in the context of a crisis that we could be in mass prepared to, to be humbled enough to imagine the different scenarios. Mm-hmm. You're, so you're saying that basically people are going to need a big shock to kind of get them to... Yeah. Unfortunately, I think that's the way. I think that's the way it works individually and in mass. Yeah. Right. And it's not going to happen uh, in the form of some savior coming along, like a political savior or something, to come and uh, sort everything out for everybody, right? I mean, no, certainly not. No, because, when you see Donald, Donald no, Trump come along. Yeah, absolutely not. Because like Trump, the way he's stoking uh, racial antagonism, like a lot of people that are drawn to him. Well, do they want to go out? They won't go out and pick tomatoes in the hot sun all day for $60 a day. But then mm. they want to hate on, and these a lot of the hypocrisy is a lot of the people that slam people that are undocumented working here. Where Well, they've been working here for generations. This is multi-generational. Yeah. And they do some of the hardest work. Um, and then they, they have, and so when they need a project done, a lot of these people that would bash and look down on Latino people, they won't. They will take advantage of their labor to get something done cheaper than they would have to pay otherwise. So, mm-hmm. pretty bad. And I see that if Trump comes and things get worse, you know, um, I don't want to be alarmist, but man, you could just see all kinds of if unemployment just spikes up incredibly, and you know, so then the the Latinos become a scapegoat, you know, for these disaffected uh, people that have been, you know, they, right. you know, people. You know, who knows where it could go, but, um, you know, just hating on people I don't think is an effective strategy. And um, Trump's kind of taking a cheap route, I believe, you know, toward this. And um, I don't know. It's just it's kind of weird because some of uh, my, my coworker, you know, he's from Cuba, and um, he's a great human being, a hard worker. I have incredible respect for him. He's the best person that I've had as a, a worker in like 25 years and um i'm also seeing it like through his perspective too you know like uh yes um you know a lot of people they go out they screech about racism and they do it in opportunist ways that are that are kind of like an al sharpton or whatever but there's a there's legitimate um exploitation of our fellow human beings in in this context of american life and uh i've experienced it as well i'm a white guy but once you um, once you lose some of your standing economically, and I do physical labor, you know it seems like their people are harder towards you, you know they're less generous towards you, 
and they see that you're going through harder times than before, you know, that just puts some fear into them because they, they see how a situation could change for even them, and there's a, like a marginalization that goes on as well. So, you know, I'm living mm-hmm. it right now, but, um, you know, one thing I, I refuse to be like in, in a victim mode that, oh, the system sucks, it's unfair. Well, you did what you could do. You came out, took a chance, you became a whistleblower, and now you're really, uh, you're really, uh, you're really experiencing the brunt of the repercussions of that. And you know what? Mm-hmm. You do the right thing. You do the right thing because it's the right thing. You don't do the right thing because you expect somebody that's going to come and pat you on the back and you're going to get all this social praise. You'll do the right thing and you will get kicked in the face. But you did the right thing, or you will do the right thing because it is the right thing to do. Nothing more than that should Absolutely. ever be expected. Well very well said. All right, Jonathan, thanks a million for hey, uh, calling in. Thank, thank you, and I'll be, uh, enjoy listening to the rest of y'all's program. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Have a good day. Thanks, Jonathan. So, uh, that was yeah, great. That, yeah, I mean, he summed up pretty much what, what's going on quite well. Um, obviously, no one can predict what's what's going to happen, but he actually made me think of a few things that uh, explained uh, or, or might explain what we were talking about earlier on in, in the context of he, he brought in, uh, we were talking about the Black uh, Lives Matter, kind of the racial divide there between blacks and whites that seems to be being provoked and stoked and poked. Uh, that's as far as my alliteration goes. Um, but um, there's also, he brought in, the, the, the which mm-hmm. is also being, Trump's coming along and he's pushing that one. He talked about, uh, Jonathan talked about at the beginning there about the, the constitutional right of uh of what gives of what uh, defines you as a citizen in the U.S., which is that you're born in the country. And Trump uh, trending now, if you want to call it that, uh, largely as a result apparently of Trump and other and the media, uh, the the kind of the, the government uh, owned effectively media in the U.S. is um, is pushing the same um, anti-Hispanic thing that, that mm-hmm. Trump is running on. Uh, and are calling it they're call, using the term anchor babies, uh, which is that uh, Hispanics are claiming Hispanics are coming over the border uh, in order to pregnant, yeah. uh, you know, nine months pregnant or something, having their baby in the country and then that citizenship. Well, that's what the constitution allows for. Unless you want to change the constitution, it's still uh, that child is still an American citizen, and whatever right that child is entitled to, then fair enough, you know. But of course, Trump. So all of this is. Yeah, it's stoking up uh, these divisions in American society, and it seems to be gearing up to produce a scapegoat. Uh, and in, in terms of answering your own question earlier on of what the point of it is, maybe Jonathan also answered that as well, in that it looks like the long-predicted economic collapse, and this would be a global thing, but certainly in the U.S., um, is on the cards at some point in the near future. And in those conditions, when under on, under the conditions of a, of a fairly serious economic collapse, you have a lot of people who are feeling it really hard and are angry and annoyed. And you need that any government in that situation needs a scapegoat, needs someone. It's very useful to have someone, some group, some minority to point to as the problem. Mm-hmm. So it seems like the groundwork for that has been being laid over the past years or two. Of course, the whole Hispanic thing has been. Uh, you know, migrants or whatever, the U.S. has been ongoing for a long time, kind of fever pitch at this point. And as we said, also the the racial divide between black and white 
is being provoked and, and pushed high up on the agenda. So you can see how uh, that could be used as a as as a as a cover by the government to take whatever action it wants and to rally kind of whites in America with a white middle class maybe or whoever else to uh, to blame the blacks, blame the Hispanics, you know? Yeah. Um it's interesting for me that Jonathan called in a couple of weeks back as he said himself, not to wholeheartedly support Trump, but to point out that Trump had been saying things that he liked mm. because they were, you know, going against the status quo. Trump was just calling things as he saw them on some issues. And he was like, Jonathan was thinking, yeah, yeah, finally someone's saying it. And now he's coming in and he's saying, he's gone too far. <laughs> Trump has gone over a red line. Mm. Now, Jonathan's a little bit different in the sense he's an awake and aware American. But it's interesting that the red line for him was this egregious suggestion of a change in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. This or denying is, constitutional rights. Yeah, something like. fundamental mm-hmm. like this will upset uh, a large, or threatens to upset, well, uh, to the point of show, opening their eyes, a large segment of the population. I don't know about large segment. How many Americans are, are like Jonathan there in terms of, I think okay. there's quite a, I don't know. But I'd say it's a small... But where I was going with this was, you have a situation, or they want to... They're bringing about a situation. We were saying we couldn't see what would be the ultimate purpose of a color revolution, a phony revolution style in the West. But this would be one, to bring about uh, red line changes, such as changes of the Constitution, that would not, under normal conditions, ever be accepted. You have a situation where, well, listen... Yes, they're on paper they're an American citizen. This is mm. what the government is saying to people. But uh, we have a serious situation here. Well, then we how many can... other things on paper that are true on paper can be taken away? Is that exactly. what you're saying? Yeah. But, I mean, I think that would equally be true in the context of an economic collapse. There's a crisis. Nash, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, um, a state of emergency, effectively, in, 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 the context, in the situation of a serious economic collapse. There are only and, so many mouths we can see. Right. We have to take extreme measures. In that situation, the Constitution is suspended effectively. It's not just about uh, your constitutional yeah. right to be a, a citizen if you're born there. But, but it may not but happen to be one, anything. It may not happen all in one go. Maybe no. one thing in the next. Yeah. So here's Trump exactly. bringing in his Trump card, which is playing the card of uh, an immediate visible issue. Yeah. Migrants coming from Mexico. Uh, it's rallying a lot of support mm-hmm. among ordinary Americans. And the occasional... American is going, hang on a second, no matter what I thought about this issue before, I can see he's crossing, he's making a leap here. Yeah. But there's a lot of racism in the U.S. and it's being provoked. You know, it's, it's dividing people, it's polarizing people and stuff. And I think when you push people in that direction, if you if you kill enough people, if you kill enough policemen, if you have enough black people kill enough policemen, you will get a lot, and, and they're white policemen, you'll get a lot of white white people who will feel personally threatened by that and will feel that, that yes, in this situation, we need to take extreme measures, and I support the suspension of this aspect of the constitution. You know, I mean, I have no, I have no hope. You seem to be having a bit of hope that this would waken people, some people, or maybe waken some people up. But I think there's more people who no, are, no, no, are, no, no, are authoritarian no, no. followers in the sense that they would support the crossing of those red lines no, no, in no, the right context. No, you, no, you missed something. I'm thinking of what is the point of a color revolution within a regime that obviously does not want to cut off its own head. Right. Well, the regime wants to say, so why would it be, what's it building towards? Well, it's facilitating 
um, changes to the society mm-hmm. that in other conditions might be uh, a card played too early, such as, right. okay, we're going to suspend certain rights. Yes. No longer if you're born in the U.S. Oh, it doesn't matter that you, you uh, uh, Jose, down in uh, Arizona, it doesn't matter that your family is here three generations. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, this is irrelevant to us, yeah. or, or that your your child was born here, so you're an American citizen. Sorry, that doesn't apply anymore. Mm. But what I mean is that prior to this period, let's say in pre nine eleven world, or even just five years ago, this would not have gone down easily as it will be able to go down today. So Trump can say these kinds of things given the current conditions. Yeah, but I think it has to get worse as well. I think that's what I said. It's it's laying the groundwork for that kind of a scenario. You know, he's laying, Trump is just a part of that, laying that groundwork by with his rhetoric about Latinos and stuff. But the aspect of the color revolution is, is true. I mean, the term color revolution in, in the U.S. is true in terms of what it refers to around the world, uh, where it, where it's been used, where the U.S. has <coughs> covertly uh, staged these kind of revolutions in, in foreign countries, and the overthrow of government when it happened was only one aspect of that. What you also saw was obviously the overthrow of government, the illegal effectively, like in Ukraine, overthrow of government is a real breach of the constitution. Mm-hmm. But in Ukraine, a lot of other things happened. A lot of other policies were passed under the cover of that kind of crisis situation. So, um, and I think in the US, <clears throat> this is, this color revolution, like you, like you said, is not obviously the, the thing that's missing here. It's not to get rid of the government. That's not mm. a, it's, it's the government doing it in the U.S. in its own backyard to allow for those measures, those extreme measures to be taken. Uh, but even the, the, the social division, the, the race wars that are being now in the U.S. Uh, in themselves are kind of, uh, to a certain extent, laying the groundwork for what we think. And this is what I was saying I got from what Jonathan was saying, mm. was that it's laying the groundwork for our setting the scene for uh, a fairly imminent or relatively imminent economic crisis in the U.S. Uh-huh. when everything will also be possible. But in that in that context, like I was saying, economic crisis, who do you blame? You know, people are starving. Who's to blame? Well, you want scapegoats, Latinos, blacks, you know, looting. That kind of, you've already got an underclass of blacks and Latinos, basically, mm-hmm. or Hispanics, uh, and they're the ones who are going to feel the effects of an economic collapse first. They're going to be the ones who are looting first. They'll be discriminated against. If there's any food aid coming into the U.S. or from the government to people in the U.S., it'll be the whites and the middle class who will get preference because it's kind of fundamentally racist. And um, and that'll just make the situation worse for these Hispanics and, 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 and blacks. And they will, be, yeah, they'll be the ones looting first, and that'll make it even worse. That'll confirm to people, to white people, who now are feeling a bit afraid about black people, it'll confirm to them what they've been suspecting, what they've been encouraged to suspect, which is that these people are just crazy, they're violent, that they're lawless. Yeah. And if people are lawless, well, what do you do? Well, the law doesn't apply to them then. So you remove their rights. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's all shaping up to not <laughs> to look really bad. In fact, you know, if it goes there, it's, yeah, it's right for it. You can obviously see what we can say right now is that the conditions are there and they're being progressively laid right now to create a pretty ugly situation in the U.S. if they want to do that. And I have no hope that they don't want to do that or they wouldn't do that on some kind of moral grounds, obviously. What form might this economic... Or what might be one of the catalysts for it? Well, this last 10 days, 
two weeks, but especially in the last week, um, the markets have gone bonkers. I hate those markets. <laughs> They're always doing weird things. And of course, shouldn't they be arrested? It's in China this time. Let the markets decide. So the Chinese the value of Chinese stocks like plummeted by one third or something. They since rebounded in spectacular fashion, but there were massive shockwaves on to other markets, especially in the West, um, some of which saw the worst collapses. It, it's it's so schizophrenic. We've seen the worst collapses, uh, one-day collapses since 2008, and simultaneously the same kind of single-day gains up and down. This this, this yo-yoing, I think this uh, extreme, increasing extremity of uh, rise and fall in, in market shares, the value of market uh, shares is a definite indicator that something major could be about to happen. I'm bringing this up because this will very probably be the catalyst for the economic collapse, whether it's going to happen right now or in months or years' time. China, China, will, China will do it. Well, it's the person who is saying if it's China, 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 it's Donald Trump. Yeah. He seems to be a spokesman for what's really going on. We have a little uh, snippet we should play. Donald Trump on China. We do. Hopefully it's there. Uploaded today. Well, let me just keep keep going there. Give me a bit of background. Okay. So we've been talking about the Donald ragging on Mexican immigrants. He's known for that. He's known for that since before he decided to run as president. Um, that's one aspect of his scapegoating and how that plays into finding someone to blame for the current situation as it is and for how bad the situation is actually going to get in the very near future. The other aspect of it is blaming someone abroad. And the message coming out across Western media, not just in the U.S. this week, is that China's incompetence slash mismanagement of its economy is the source for the possible or probable next 2008-style crash. So last time it was Wall Street with the origin of it, now it's set up to be China's fault. Um, and Donald Trump is harping on, and he actually has been since years, about China, China, China is our enemy. Uh, they're stealing our wealth, they're stealing our jobs, which is totally laughable, given that it's U.S. companies that upped and outsourced everything. They're the ones who stole their jobs. The U.S. CEOs and Wall Street did that. People like Donald Trump. Um, and But he's just created this idiotic populist uh, argument that China is our enemy because they're stealing our wealth by working hard to produce products that we buy off them and thereby they set us up for this situation where they hold, I think, a third of U.S. debt, and they hold it over like a sword, like a weapon. That argument can be made that China has played this smartly to be in this position vis-a-vis the U.S., where there's a massive trade imbalance from the U.S., from China to the U.S., to the, US in, to the point where China holds a huge amount of U.S. debt. And they are running, especially it's, most prevalent with things that Trump's been saying, they're running with this um, currency war and trade war, all of it carrying the suggestion that China is doing what it's doing to manage uh, 
recent collapse in the value of, of its, its, its stocks deliberately. It's all being done deliberately to hurt the U.S. That's not the case at all. It, it's the very nature of this globalized economy is that anyone, any, any party inside the system that does anything is going to have effects on everyone else. Uh, Trump is up because now the U.S. can actually, for probably the first time since the Second World War, since it became first the, the, the world hegemon, is now in a position where it can actually be threatened by something going kaflui elsewhere. When this kind, when this similar situation happened to Japan in the 1990s, the U.S. was not at risk of um, suffering from the shockwaves from the collapse of, uh, in, in the value of Japanese stocks. But this time it's different. China holds far more of U.S. debt, and there is a real threat. But it's not just for the U.S. that the economic collapse will come about as a result of something going wrong in China. Long story short, Trump is playing itself as something being done, being done deliberately to America by its enemy, which is just totally unbelievably wrong on so many levels because uh, the system we're in is set up by and for hegemonic control of the planet. So if you get past the populist rhetoric, the the hysteria and the fear, if you want to put they don't really fear these people, but they do react to conditions of what they're seeing happening with the markets in the moment is, I think, an encroaching realization that it's on the doorstep, this serious systemic readjustment, this shock that people have talked about for years. I think they, they realize it's on the doorstep, and that's why Trump is hysterical about China. It's also about Mexican migrants, but okay. Well, actually, we might we might uh, have some dead air here for a minute, people. But uh, we'll be back in a second. Hang on, go back. Sorry for that uh, bit of dead air there. At um, I'm gonna blame Blog Talk Radio again. Um, yeah. So Trump and China. Yeah. So just one. We had we just had one more. Um, one more uh, rabble rousing element to to Trump's uh, bag of tricks, basically Hispanics. Um, well, he's not so much. I think he's talked about but the the kind of black and Black Lives Matter as well. Um, but he's just I don't know. Trump is just I mean he's so it's a, the the problem for me is getting a real feel. You can never get a feel of what American people actually think. What a majority even of American people actually think, or even get numbers on what people think about any given. A political candidate, you know, you can be fairly certain that in 2008 in Obama, everybody supported Obama. He was wonderful, and he was all about change and all sorts of wonderful stuff. But um, <clears throat> when you see, I mean, you know, anytime you, you read anything about Trump, you see him, you know, he he's been faded on the on the on the on the media channels. He's um, and anytime you he's at some kind of uh, rally or something. Uh, there's all these people cheering and stuff. Although there's quite a lot of kind of like thank Jesus for Donald Trump and that kind of thing. So you get an idea of the the, the element, the kind of segment of of the U.S. population that would support him, which is the white middle class or upper middle class 
fundy believers in uh, God and America, uh, and that's who supports him. And I'm pretty sure, I mean, that most Americans aren't like that. I'd say there's quite a lot of them, but I think most of them aren't really that way inclined. Uh, not that they all know what's going on. I think the real problem is the majority of Americans don't really care or totally apathetic about everything and are just kind of focused on their lives and don't really even, aren't even really even interested in politics of any stripe color, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's like every other president's run up to a presidential election. It's, it's an election kind of presented to the people by the media effectively and no one, they're being told what they like essentially. Uh, and the silent, there might even be a silent majority there of people who actually have an opinion who never get to express it. They're, the media will try and convince people that whoever is slated to win the presidential, presidential election has the support of a majority of American people. And the people who don't support him are just, they just have to accept the fact that, well, I'm in the minority and that's democracy, but that's usually not the case, you know. While I don't hold out hope for, like our caller Jonathan said, you know, any kind of, there isn't enough strength of movement from below or even the potential for it to counter this long, decades-long movement from the top in this downwards direction. There's a little item from this week from the other side of the the, uh, U.S. election campaign campaigns. Uh, Hillary Clinton, it emerged, someone, I think someone leaked it, I'm not sure, that um, they have cooked her social media following. Who? Hillary. Her campaign people, I guess, uh-huh. or other helpers from, from the Alphabet Agency to give her an additional million Twitter followers. Uh. I don't know what that does you to the total number, but you see what I mean? They, they will have to... They're having to... Uh, they understand social proof, so that if you get a lot of people appearing to support something, that can affect induce an actual mass, an actual majority of people uh-huh. to lend their support because they see that a large, it appears that a large group of people support X. So therefore I will, mm-hmm. independent of my doubts yeah, exactly. about what's going I'll on. I'll go with the flow. So you're still left, when you hear about this, you're like a million Twitter users that just, just fake accounts. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's really desperate. Yeah. But uh, it's, well, desperation is a hallmark of uh, people in positions of power in this world right now, you know, particularly in the major countries, you know, with the exception, I think, of Russia and maybe maybe China. But certainly in the West, desperation defines what they're doing. You know, I mean, the rhetoric and the lies and the nonsense have just reached kind of fever pitch where it's like I'm amazed. Um, the one disheartening thing for me is that the the lies and the nonsense being spread by politicians these days is so obvious that more people aren't kind of up in arms about it, you know, and, and really themselves aren't totally disillusioned, you know. Um, so it's kind of negative feedback that these politicians are engaged in, you know. The more they lie, the more they disillusion people, the more they get, the politicians get uh, antsy and because they realize they're not, the lies aren't working, you know. Uh, they're not fooling people anymore because their lies are so egregious. They've really just uh, lost the plot on that one and not being very smart about their manipulations anymore. Um, but that also could be because there's, and certainly, I think it is because there's other forces in this world that are causing people. Uh, I, I'm talking about natural forces that are causing people to to just feel a bit more kind of uh, you know 
antsy or irritated or upset or dis dis disaffected or disgruntled with uh, life in general, it just seems to have snowballed into a situation where it's yeah. rolling downhill and it can only get worse. It's increasing global stress. You know, people are increasingly stretched um, financially, uh-huh. and then the stress plays out in their immediate networks, family and friends, at work. And then there's the stresses coming from these generally low-level terror events, low-level insofar as it, they don't affect most people in their daily lives, an explosion or the threat of one. Nevertheless, the constant stream of, oh, shooting here, bomb went off there, these things are stressful uh, on people, and they build up over time. And then there's the third factor that's feeding all of this into this giant mixed master of of, of serious stress. Of which is that the whether people entertain the thought or not, the fact is the environment, extreme weather phenomena, are stressing people out. Yeah, even in a subconscious way, you know, yes. it's yes. harder and harder for people to normalize the stuff that's going on. And in weather phenomena, we're including. Um, Lightning strike, well, obviously that's to do with weather, but uh, there's a a strange phenomenon that has uh, raised its head over the past few years uh, that's associated, obviously, directly associated with weather phenomenon in terms of the storms that are uh, that, that have been going on um, is lightning strikes, but not just ordinary lightning strikes, but lightning strikes that actually have been hitting places that shouldn't, aren't normally hit in a, uh, at, a higher, at a higher rate and also hitting people, hitting and killing people. Um, so that kind of thing, yeah, I think it just, it would serve to unnerve people, you know, and give them a generalized sense, not that they would think about it or think it through, but just a generalized sense of insecurity, you know, um, so, but yeah, the weather in itself probably has an effect, that, that effect also, it maybe has a kind of a doomsday kind of effect where a lot of people would start to think, holy crap, this place is... Uh, you know, something's wrong, you know, when they see massive flooding in their area. I mean, that's traumatic for people, you know. Um, I hear it all the time. It could just be a local news report and someone's asked what they thought about this extremely violent tornado or unusual flooding that no one in the area has seen in their lifetime or enormous hailstones that they've never seen before. And people just, just spit it out. They say, well, I thought the world was ending. Mm-hmm. Now, they'll sit down after and they'll calm down and the world hasn't ended and the world's not going to end. It's going to continue. But it's in entering their consciousness that this is profound, whatever, even if only momentarily, even if they only entertain it for a second. When you see, when you consider that happening in localities the world over mm-hmm. simultaneously, mm-hmm. it's going to have an accumulated effect on the behavior of people individually and as groups. Mm-hmm. Um, something that kind of bridges our discussion of the political warping and shenanigans and the warping of narratives and so on. And the effects it has on the people is that people are prepared to entertain explanations of what's going on that that are way out there mm-hmm. or that seem to bless them they, they do seem to fit because they're trying to understand mm-hmm. all these apparent disparate and disconnected dots they are connected but here's the here's classic the, the thing that happened in China we've discussed it on the show briefly mm-hmm. um, 
the explosion that the, the port is changing. Yeah. Um, the predominant theory in the alternative media is that this is a deliberate act. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one headline. Confirmation, Tianjin was mute. This was no chemical fire. This was China's 9-11. Mm. And the context that they give, whatever about their explanations of the actual things that were observed at that site, it fits for people because they're thinking U.S., China, great big war to be global hegemon. Yeah. Yeah, the motives there, therefore, mm-hmm. uh, it was done deliberately. Mm-hmm. Um it, it, it's 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 a bit like Donald Trump grasping at straws when he sees the shockwaves in the in the markets and he goes, ah, this is done deliberately by China to us, and people can people can actually accept that because okay that makes sense because we're in a war, mm-hmm. everything feels warlike even if they don't understand exactly how this war is playing out. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to reiterate, it, there is nothing to sh- there's nothing to suggest that what happened in China was a man-made event. Mm-hmm. Uh, it caught everyone by surprise. There was no preformed narrative, which there usually is, that is then repeated ad nauseum mm-hmm. after the fact. There was confusion in both China in, in China and then in Western reporting of it. Mm-hmm. It really did seem to be a surprise factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That alone tells us that this was something natural. And obviously, the nuke hypothesis is um, they're talking about some kind of a suitcase nuke or a dirty bomb or something like that. Because um, obviously, you can't fire a. No one would have been able to fire a, a missile, nuclear missile at China without China knowing about it. Yeah. And that would have come out in one way or another. So obviously, they're talking about some kind of a. You know, nuke on a ship type thing, or nuke on a, in a container, but that, that's all highly, highly speculative, and there's no evidence for that. You just have to believe that that's what they could do, type of thing. It's just it's so far out there in the sense that when when they propagate this idea and it's just pure speculation, mm-hmm. but they present it as like you just read the headline as if it's hard and fast. And those yeah. kind of websites and conspiracy theorists that do that are just you know they need to just go away and stop doing that. I mean. I, they're either crazy. The people who write that kind of stuff are either crazy themselves. Uh, they're disintegrating. You know, the forces that work on this in this world uh, are, are too much for them, and they've lost the plot. Or well, in that or, respect, I have a little bit of sympathy for them. Some of them, at least. Well, but or, or they're doing it to simply gain uh, gain attention, get okay. attention for the websites. Yeah. And I think I think you read that was read from Veterans Today. Correct. And Veterans Today is one of those websites that needs to go away. Yeah. A hard and an idea world. Yeah, they make some hard and fast. Well, they're just they're as bad as I don't know, as bad as Donald Trump. Um, but uh, here's here's something here's something another phenomenon that has no connection to anything, or it doesn't seem to, and yet there it is. It's in our faces. We can't ignore it. We said last week we reported about these two plane crashes at two separate air shows, two mm-hmm. days apart. Mm-hmm. They were in Switzerland, I think, and the south of England, and the south of England, and one of them. But particularly the one in England that killed 11 people. Um, More. Mm-hmm. It went up, did it go up? Yeah. Okay. This week, there have been another two, two days apart mm-hmm. at air, air shows. Mm-hmm. One in Austria and the other one just yesterday in uh, New York. Mm-hmm. That killed just the pilot of one single plane. Yeah. But isn't that, <laughs> what the hell is going on there? I mean, 
it's like a cluster of events. Yeah, and there's no week, reason to believe they're directly related. To no, other, but, but in one week, four planes crash at air shows, and one of them kind of major casualty effect uh, event. But again, you look at each one and you say, well, you know, even the one in the UK you can look at the video of it, and the guy just tried to do a loop and he didn't. Miscalculated. He miscalculated, but you wonder if there aren't other effects going on there. I mean, and it would be highly speculative to suggest what they are, but it's one, like you just said, it's one of those things that make you sit up and take notice, even if it doesn't have any obvious or very clear uh, explanation. It is anomalous. So maybe there's some anomalous cause. Mm. Don't know what it is, but maybe it's there. Here's another one that's coming up all the time on our radar. Fires breaking out in, particularly in high rises. Mm. There was one in Las Vegas last month. Uh, there have been many others. One in Russia. Two in the last two days stand out. One in Kiev. Uh, far from any conflict zone or anything. It was a high rise luxury apartment. Not even open yet because it's brand new. Cause unknown. I'm sure they'll find a cause that. You know, will be a plausible explanation for the fire, but then at the same time, there's a report from Saudi Arabia again, luxury high-rise apartment just going up in flames, flames, killing. Ah, it's just like <laughs> things are catching fire, circuits are frying, planes are exploding. In general, what does it all mean? Well, it's 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 got to be symptomatic of this breakdown mm-hmm. in civilization mm-hmm. slash. That's just called civilization. Yeah, in human society. Yeah. In our environment, in our urban built environment. And in people's heads. In people's heads. Yeah. Well. Uh, just a quick word on the discussions last week. Waves of NATO war refugees pouring mm-hmm. into Europe. Well, literally the bodies are starting to pile up. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside Vienna this week, a truck was stopped or pulled over. Mm-hmm. Seventy dead people mm-hmm. inside. That was some four days ago. Since then, uh, breaking news today is that three young children found near to death were rescued from another van, also in Austria. But then they disappeared. Did they? Mm-hmm. Disappeared. Somebody took them. Aye. So that's... Uh, that's Greece we knew about Macedonia they're pouring in there and here we are, they're in the EU. Uh, I think that that that's fast. I mean we predicted that bodies would start to turn up and that people would be start noticing waves of people in cities in northwestern Europe. Uh yeah, within a week that's happened. So it's... Yeah. It's all not good. I mean this week has been a fairly slow Slow news week, relatively. Um, there's been a lull in it. I don't know if people notice that, but there seems to be a kind of a cycle or it has a kind of a, a sine wave kind of effect where, where, you know, there are, not that often, but now and again, there are weeks that go by where relatively, compared to the amount of chaos that has been going on for the past several years, there's a week where it's unusually quiet, you know. Still, the stuff we have talked about <clears throat> is an example of how how that's relative, you know. Um, even in the in the quiet or the slow news week, there's still a lot of serious stuff going on, you know. And there's a lot of uh, chaos still happening, but it's just not um, to the level that that it has been 
for for quite a long time, you know. Um, so yeah, it's kind of interesting. <clears throat> I don't know what it means, but there you go. Um, so do we have anything else? Not that I can think of. Yeah, well, here's the next question. Then is we're gonna yeah we're gonna take a slightly earlier show this week. Um, have a slightly earlier show this week, but because uh, we're having problems with Blog Talk Radio, and we're gonna get those sorted for next week. But um, well, those problems mean that we don't even know we have scheduled a pop culture roundup. We don't even know it's going to play. Uh, oh, yeah. It's gonna come through. But uh, can we just? Give it a go there, Mr. Soundman, and see if Relic is on the line. Um, if he's not, we'll just... Um, yeah, take it. Oh, oh, there you go. That sounds like Relic. You can't keep Relic down, I suppose. Salutations, everyone. It's your old friend Relic here with another spectacular edition of Pop Culture Roundup, where we'll skulk around the celebrity golf courses of Tinseltown in our new Mercedes-Benz electric cart and see if we can't avoid the bogeyman and talk to a few little paparazzi birdies that will help us swing out of the rough here and then use our movie pitching wedge to avoid the celluloid sand trap and get our blockbuster A-game up to par. And as usual, we're coming to you today from my seven-sided pinewood log cabin tucked away on the northern shores of Upper Lake Canada, where the days are so long in the summertime that I was able to go outside at 3 a.m., and use the magnifying glass to burn holes into my wooden porch. Heck, I, I'm still sporting the tan. So, what kinds of stories do we have emanating from Hollywood's wacky worldwide web this week? In our first series of stories tonight, we have some quite tragic news to report. There have been rumors of a, a recent spate of celebrity breakups between Hollywood power couples, which are really quite disheartening to romantics like you and me. Because who better to exemplify the fairy tale ending of true love and living happily ever after than the rich, famous, and obscenely beautiful stars and starlets of Tinseltown? Starting off with geriatric daredevil actor Mr. Ben Affleck who is said to be divorcing his Electra superhero wife, Jennifer Garner, because he was caught having an affair with their teenaged nanny. That's sort of like Batman having an affair with Alfred, 
right behind Commissioner Jim Gordon's back. Oh. And now that Mr. Ziegley has been caught with his hand in the cookie jar, one can only assume that Ben Affleck wishes that his new nanny was the real gone girl. The gossip grapevine is also swirling around another doomed Hollywood romance, where second-class Scientologist and Man in Black star Will Smith is rumored to be separating from his wife of 17 years, Mrs. Jada Pinkett Smith. And in case you are confused as to which of the two lead characters Mr. Will Smith played in the movie Men in Black, he was the black man in black, as opposed to that other guy who played the white man in black. Just don't let Johnny Cash hear you say that. In addition, Transformer movie star and all-around horrible actress and beautiful bimbo airhead model Miss Megan Fox has reportedly split up from her husband of five years, some dude named Brian Austin Green, who apparently is a minor Hollywood celebrity that nobody's ever heard of. So we can just file this story under the that couldn't care less category as long as the newly single Miss Fox promises us all never to do another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie for the rest of her life. In our final celebrity breakup, is probably the most shocking and heartbreaking of them all. After nearly four decades of being a couple and working together harmoniously both on and off the silver screen, entertainment news sites are reporting that Muppet stars Kermit the Frog and beautiful Miss Piggy have announced the end of their turbulent romantic relationship. When asked to comment, the emotional Miss Piggy was unable to articulate her feelings on account of having a frog in her throat, whereas Mr. Kermit wondered out loud if this startling revelation would affect his ability to bring home the bacon. Moving along now with some news from the U.S. presidential campaign. A woman from Wildwood, Missouri, posted a picture on Instagram recently where she claims that Donald Trump's face has magically appeared in a tub of store-bought margarine. The product's official name is Earth Origins Organic Spread, but a spokesman for the company has announced that it will now be changing the product's name to I Can't Believe It's Not Trump. And don't y'all find it just the slightest bit ironic that Mr. Trump's face could be found in a fake fat tub of unhealthy, inedible plastic goo? Sounds like that could be his new campaign slogan. Hey, everyone, join us in elect 
disgusting Donald Trump. A big fat tub of unhealthy, inedible plastic goo. Yeah, that'd fix him. Fix him good. And continuing on with some more political news, there's these nuts. Have you heard of this guy? These nuts. 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 Astonishingly, a recent CNN poll puts this 15-year-old independent presidential candidate from Iowa, who's legally named These Nuts, in third place behind Donald Trump and hilarious Clinton. (laughs) A truly dark horse candidate, Mr. These Nuts, appears to have piqued the curiosity of millions of American voters who were dissatisfied with the failed two-party system, with his no-nonsense and down-to-earth political views. One of Mr. D's Nuts' first promises is to name his future vice presidential running mate. Another independent candidate who goes by the moniker of these raisins. And together, the pair of them will run under the political platform of these trail mix. True story. It should make for an interesting race. In our final story for the evening is uh, some breaking rock and roll celebrity news. Entertainment Tonight is reporting that California police have issued a search warrant for the home of glam rocker and kiss bass guitarist Mr. Jane Simmons and have searched his home looking for evidence of child pornography. Oh, it's no surprise, I suppose. I mean, what do you expect from an unrepentant George W. Bush-supporting Zionist who claims to have slept with 4,600 women and, and then went on to marry a nudie magazine cover girl? There's a man who dresses up in tight leather bondage gear wearing black and white makeup, who spits fire and wiggles his unnaturally long tongue and then identifies himself as the demon. I suppose these allegations give a whole new meaning to their song, I was made for loving you, baby. The 
continues. Oh, what a strange and sad world. Looks like it's time to put a kibosh on the show for tonight, kids. I gotta turn down the flue on the rusty iron stove and shuffle off to Neverland once again. So until next time, it's your old friend Relic here saying, Always remember, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. All right, thanks, that Relic. That was, uh, as always, very informative. We're going to leave it there for this week, folks. Thanks to our caller, Jonathan, and to our chatters. We'll be back next week with another show as yet to be announced, so watch this space. And until then, have a good one. Take care of yourselves and each other. See you next week.